So let me back up and, and reset or set our context today for our message. Uh, Moses uh, took the Israelites out of Egypt, the bondage in Egypt and slavery, into uh, to the edge of their promised land. And then Moses died. And then Joshua was raised up as the next leader. And Joshua took the people into their promised land. And they settled there. And then Joshua passed away. And then about 330 years later, Israel became a monarchy with King David and the kings that followed. But there was that in-between time, that 330 years or so, that was a period uh, ruled by judges. And the way it was supposed to work was simply this, was God was meant to be and supposed to be Israel's king. That he gave them his law and they were to obey his law. And, and, and part of that law, the part that the famous part that I think many of us know about is referred to as what? Does anybody know? There's the Ten Commandments, right? You have the Ten Commandments. But they also had about a, another a, a 603 or so laws on top of that that they were to, to follow. Now, during this time, God would use or raised up these judges. That's why we have in our Bible a book called Judges. These judges were the ones who were to distribute the law of God, to make sure that the law was being kept. And, and from time to time, God would use some of these judges to deliver the nation of Israel from their enemies. Because here's what happened. During that 330 or so years, the nation of Israel would abandon God as their king. They would abandon God's law because they had something in common with you and something in common with me. They didn't like to be told what to do. Right? I mean, I mean and we're here this morning, and, and I don't think there's a single person here who likes to be told what to do. And so basically, everybody decided to do whatever it is they wanted to do which meant that for 330 years, they went through this cycle. And, and Pastor Derek did an incredible job talking about that cycle last week. They, they, the people of Israel would disobey God and disobey his laws and commands, and that resulted in disaster in their lives and a disaster for them as a people. And then after that disaster, they finally realized, man, I got to cry out to God. So they'd cry out to God. God would send them a deliverer or, or a judge. Then after a short period of time, they'd go back to disobeying God. As a result of that, there'd be a disaster again. The people realize, hey, we need God. They cry out for, to God again. God would send another deliverer. This went on over and over and over for 330 years. And here's the interesting thing about this book of Judges. Here's something that we all have in common. This is a cycle that we've all experienced. That at some point in our life, we all have disobeyed something. Whether it's disobeying the religious law that maybe we grew up with, or maybe we disobeyed our parents, or, or, or the company rules that we were to follow, or maybe we just disobeyed our conscience. And after a period of time of disobedience, disaster came upon us, right? And we get to the sense of, oh my goodness, what have I gotten myself into? And at that point... You cried out, said, I need help. And someone came along and they bailed you out. Maybe for some people, quite literally bailed you out. Maybe they paid a fine. Somebody helped you get into rehab. Somebody rescued you from your problem. Someone came into your life and helped. And you said, man, 
I'm never doing that again. I'm never going back to that again. And you didn't for about a week or a month or whatever the case may be. And you found yourself repeating that cycle. And so that's what was going on in the book of Judges with the nation for about 330 years. They got in trouble. They got delivered. They got in trouble. They cried out for help. They got delivered, got in trouble, cried out for help, got delivered. So much of the book of Judges reflects our lives. So it's just up and down, up and down, up and down. And in fact, I want you to notice how the book of Judges ends with a commentary on everything that happens in the book of Judges. So turn with me, Judges chapter 21. It's a verse we're camping out on today, we're, we're focusing on today before we really dive into the rest of the series. Judges chapter 21, we're going to look at the writer's final comment, the final verse of the book of Judges. It reflects the last 330 years, and it says this, Judges 21, verse 25, in those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own what? In his own eyes. Another translation says everybody did what was right in their own opinion. Another translation said everyone did what was right as they saw fit. To put it a different way, during this period of time, they chose not to follow God's law, so there was no moral, binding moral consensus. There was nothing that held them together because they weren't following God's law, so they didn't follow this, and people, there was no, this is right, this is wrong, this is right, this is wrong. So everybody just followed their own moral compass. Everybody did exactly what they thought was right. They had no reference point in, a, in reference to our last sermon series. It was like the Wild West in Israel. And here's the thing, and here's why we're going to talk about this today, and here's why we're camping out on this verse. There's some of that in you and in me. There's something in me, there's something in you that says, whoa, whoa, whoa hold on here. It's my life. And I'm going to live my life and do what I want, how I want, when I want, with whom I want. And nobody's going to tell me what to do. What's right for me and my family, hey, it may might be right for you and your family, that's fine. But I'm going to do what I decide is right. Now, practically speaking, we've had many ideas about what we thought was right that turned out to be a bad idea. In fact, there's an entire TV show built on this. It's called America's Funniest Home Videos right? It's a, it's a show and you watch that and you laugh a lot, but you also, as you're watching, thinking, somebody thought this was a good idea? Thomas Austin was a person who came to Australia in the 1800s. And he, and he got his property and he settled the land and he had a huge amount of property. And one of the things Thomas loved to do is he loved to, you know, to hunt, small game, large game, whatever. He loved to hunt. And so he began to hunt at a prolific pace and eventually killed off all the animals surrounding his region and his area. That's how much he hunted. But he liked to hunt, even the small little game. So he thought, you know what? I'm going to reach out to my brother, sent a cable across the, across the waters to his brother and said, hey, bro, will you do me a favor? Will you send me 24 rabbits? so that I can release them and, and, and then I'll, you know, I'll always have you know, animals to shoot. And so his brother sent him 24 rabbits. Now what you need to understand is there were no rabbits in Australia at the time. 
They sent him the rabbits, he, he released them. And because he had killed all the animals that were predators to rabbits, uh, and because they multiplied like rabbits, today, there are over a billion rabbits in Australia that are not friendly to the ecosystem and to the environment of Australia. And the government of Australia spends millions upon millions of dollars every year to try to reduce or eradicate the rabbits, and it's not happening. All because of Austin's selfish desire to do what he thought was right in his own eyes. We all have some of that in us. We all have that thing in us that says, I'm going to do as I see fit. What's right in my own opinion. In fact, this is kind of part of the, it's the unspoken part of the American dream. That I want to be so autonomous, that I want to be so free, that I can do what I want, when I want, where I want, with whom I want, and how I want. And I don't want anybody to tell me what to do. I want to do what's right in my own eyes. Now, because we're civilized people, we add a little condition to that. I'm going to do what's right in my own eyes. Well, of course, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody. The problem is that it hasn't gone very well. There's a lot of problems with this type of thinking and this philosophy of life that says I'm going to do what's right in my own eyes, in my own opinion, as I see fit. First of all, the only people who can really afford this type of living or way of life are the super rich or the entertainment type people. Okay, they're the only ones. Why? Because after a while of living this way, you will need an attorney. In fact, you'll need an army of attorneys if you're going to live your life how you want, where you want, with whom you want, regardless of what anybody thinks. You know who never preaches a right in my own eyes message? It's people who have real world experience. You never see a teacher get up on Friday before they're releasing the students and they say, all right, kids, just remember, the key to your happiness this weekend is that you do what you want, when you want, how you want, with whom you want. Don't let anybody tell you what to do. You're dismissed. Have a great weekend. See you Monday. You ever have a teacher say that to you? You ever hear a social worker or a judge or a police officer tell you what to do, do whatever you want that's right in your own eyes? Would they ever say that? No. Why? Because anyone who lives on the consequence side of the equation, they all know better. There's another reason this way of living doesn't work, because generally speaking, this works out a whole lot better for men than it does for women. Right? I want you to think about this for a second. In a world where men get what they want, when they want, how they want, with whom they want, eventually women become possessions and profit centers. Would you agree with that? As you look through history... When men do what they want, what's right in their own eyes, when there's no moral consensus guiding and directing their lives and behavior, women always suffer. They always pay a price, which points to the primary problem, which is you can't do what's right in your own eyes without eventually hurting somebody. The whole, I'm going to do what I want, when I want, how I want, with whom I want, wherever I want, that's, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody, that's impossible. And the reason it's impossible because eventually people will get hurt. For starters, you're going to hurt yourself. Think about it. When you do what's right in your own eyes, what might start out as something that I, I'm free to do what I want, 
that leads eventually to something or even someone having a grip or control over our life. Take, for example, spending. We decide, I'm going to spend how I want. I have the freedom, I have this job, I have this credit card, $60,000 limit on the credit card. I can do whatever I want. Okay, no problem. Where does that lead? Leads to debt, right? And then you really can't do what you want, when you want, why why you want, and how you want. Why? Because now you're a slave to your debt. Or maybe you have a habit or an addiction that you can't break and it has control or mastery over you, even though it started out as what you thought was an expression of freedom. It was really misguided freedom. And so you've hurt you all because you started out saying, nobody's going to tell me what to do. I'm going to do what I want, what I think is right in my own opinion. But it's not just that you hurt you, you also hurt the people with you. This is why parents freak out with their, with their, with their, you know, their kids' friends. And, and, and your child might come to you and says, hey, you know what? They say, you ask them, what are they doing tonight, Friday night? And, and you're like, oh, I don't know. I'll just be hanging out with them. And your parents are like, oh, no, 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 no. What are you going to do? Where are you going to be? What's going on? They want to know this, right? Because the child thinks, the teenager thinks, oh, I'm just hanging out with them. And the parent says, yeah, 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 yeah. But if you're with them, whenever they do what they're going to do, you're also going to get hurt. Also, with this do what is right in my own eyes, this attitude of living, this philosophy, you also just, you hurt the people that care about you. There might be some of you here this morning that you are hurting today and you are suffering because your child, even your adult child, or your grandchild, or your niece, or your nephew has been building their life around doing what they want, when they want, how they want, with whom they want. And they're suffering, and as a result, you're suffering. And you're hurting because of the damage they're doing to their life and those around them. You hurt the people that care about you. And then what about this one? You hurt the people that come behind you or come after you. So I want to illustrate this one by getting just a tad bit personal here. Some of you have quite a bit of dysfunction in your life, okay? I mean, that's just reality. Maybe you're here this morning and you're a little bit odd, okay? I mean, you just are. Or maybe you got some weird stuff going on in your life that you don't even know why you do it. Some of you have enough self-awareness in your life to understand that the reason you're a little bit off, the reason you're a little bit bizarre, the reason you have some things in your life because of your parents. In other words, your current dysfunction is related to a decision that somebody in your past made without taking you into consideration. When they did what was right in their own eyes, they hurt the people that came after them. Is this connecting with anybody here this morning? Here's a really strange thing about all this, especially if you're a Jesus follower here this morning. Why would we aspire to this bottom-of-the-barrel philosophy way of living life? Why would we go after that? Why would we aspire to, I want to do what I want, when I want, how I want, with whom I want, and I'm going to devolve into personal chaos in my life, and nothing's going to stop me from it? Where's the win in that? 
How does that work out for us? Why, why not aspire to greatness? Why not harness our passions to make the world a better place? Why not harness that to make the lives of those around us better? Why? Because like the Israelites, in our attempt to throw off authority, to get rid of that authority in our life, we have found ourselves under another authority. Like the Israelites, when we try to do what's right in our own eyes, in our own opinion, as we see fit, here's what we do. We simply are trading one king, almighty God, for another little king. We're trading one king for another king. That somewhere along the way, we said, you know something, I'm going to do whatever I want how I want, where I want, and I don't need a king. I certainly don't need an invisible God trying to tell me what to do. And then one day, you woke up. And one day you realize, uh-oh, my expression of freedom, it actually resulted in a loss of my freedom. I just was trading one king for another king. When you throw off God's authority in your life, you will eventually place yourself under the, sm- the authority of a smaller, compassionless king. When you or I throw off moral, religious, or even ethical restraint, we surrender our lives to the little kings, the unmerciful kings, the unforgiving kings, the created kings. Let's take, for example, the king of appetite or the king of passions. That you find yourself saying, I am so tired of wrestling with this temptation. I'm tired of feeling like a failure all the time. I'm tired of saying no all the time. So I'm just going to give in. I'm going to give in to this passion. I'm going to give in to this appetite. And then a few weeks, a few months, a few years down the road, all of a sudden we realize, I actually can't say no any longer. And if you were able to see it, you would realize, oh no, I'm now controlled by my passion, by my appetite. And then you would dawn on you of, oh my goodness, I traded one king for another king. There are many little gods. Maybe for you, it's, it's, it's the little god of fear or comparison. And the next thing you know, you're controlled by, by this idea of comparison and it guides your life and it guides your decisions. Or maybe it's lust or maybe it's greed for more. And, and the next thing you know, you find that that's controlling you and you're always needing more and figuring out a way to get more. Or maybe it's insecurities. Or maybe for you, it might be family history. Some of you, I know the reality is, for some of you, your number one goal in life is this. You have decided, I will not be like my mom. I will not be like my dad. I will not have history repeat itself in my family. But it's somewhere along the way in your spiritual journey, whether purposefully, intentionally, or unintentionally, you walked away from God or you abandoned God. Listen, you can mark this down. When you turn your back on God, I can guarantee you history will repeat itself. And you will, even though you think, hey, the best bet for breaking the bonds of negative or toxic chains in my family history is to do what I want, when I want, how I want, with whom I want, you will discover when you head down that path, history will repeat itself and you will be exactly like your mom 
or exactly like your dad. Because if you don't surrender to God, that history is going to repeat itself. You're going to surrender to a king. Would you rather it be the king of kings or one of these little kings? Would you rather surrender to a king that has compassion and mercy or to the merciless kings? The little kings, the kings of lust or greed or, compassion or, 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 or lack of compassion or comparison or insecurity or fear, they don't love you. They don't care about you. They don't have your best interest in mind. So I ask you this morning, what are the little kings in your life? What are the little kings that you found yourself under the thumb of, under the control of? All because you set out to be in control. And now they have the control. Who are your little kings? Now I do understand and I get it. Like the Israelites, as you look at your life, you realize, man, it is easier for us to say no to God than it is to say no to that destructive relationship. I understand it's easier to say no to God and yes to that thing that's now become a habit for us. I understand that. And I understand that now that you want to say no to that habit, to that addiction, to that relationship, to that circumstance, to that situation, I understand. Now you want to say no, but it now has control over you. And it's wreaking havoc upon your life. It's wreaking havoc on your relationships. It's wreaking havoc on your mental and emotional health. It's wreaking havoc on your finances. And now you're so caught up in it. Some of you here this morning are saying, I don't see a way out. I don't know how to get out of this. Because I'm telling you, if you haven't figured it out yet, those little kings, man, they are merciless. They never give life. The substitute kings do not love you. They will seek to only control you. They will seek to only take away your freedom. But here's the thing I know, and this is the big idea for us this morning. True freedom in your life is found, uh, maximum freedom, true freedom is found in your life under the umbrella of the authority of God. You want maximum freedom in your life? It only comes under the umbrella of God's authority in your life. It's found nowhere else. And here's the thing I have figured out. Pursuing that true freedom under God's authority is one of the greatest challenges we have as a Christ follower. Because every single day I'm being tugged back to trying to do it my way, in my opinion. In fact, when you find yourself reading God's word and God says, here's what I have for you, here's an incredible life, here's, here's my, my, my dictates, my laws, my, my principles. Every time you find yourself reading that and you find yourself saying, here's what God's word says, but here's what I think. We're in sin. We're trying to do it our way. We're trying to not be under the umbrella of God's authority. Well, over and over and over, the Israelites would substitute the king of kings for the little kings. 
And we read in Judges chapter 3, one of the earlier rounds of this back and forth exchange that the Israelites had, and it said this. Here's how this particular situation ended for them. Judges 3 verse 8, it says the anger, because they were trying to do their own thing and live their own way outside of the, the authority of the umbrella of God, it says this, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel so that God sold them into the hands of some dude with a hard name. <laughs> to whom the Israelites were subject for eight seconds. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. Who were subject for eight minutes. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Who were subject for eight hours. What does it say? They were subject for eight what? Eight years. Eight years? They were caught up and wrapped up into this culture, into this society, into these false gods, into a miserable life for eight years. Why? Because they wanted to do what was right in their own eyes as they saw fit. But then after eight years, they did what some of you have done. They did what some of you, I suspect this morning, are ready to do. And they did what some of you, you're not ready today, but I'm telling you, you need to do. They finally cried out to God. And they realized they were not under the authority, of, under the umbrella of God's authority in their life. And so these Israelites finally threw up their hands after eight long years of suffering consequences, of trying to be free like they thought they were free, but it was a miserable life for them. They finally said, oh God, we've sinned. We've been fooled. We, we surrendered to these little kings rather than surrender to the king of kings. God, would you have mercy on us? Would you save us? And the verses go on to say that God stepped in and God did deliver them. Why? Because they were still his people. And he raised up a deliverer. He raised up a judge to save them. One of the most amazing things about the Christian faith that is illustrated throughout the history of the Israelites is that God is first and foremost a God of love, compassion, and mercy. And that he's so merciful, he's not going to force his way on us. He's going to let us choose. You know why we get to choose? Because he wants us to love him. He wants us to love him and he wants to love us back. Something that the little gods have no understanding of in our life. He wants us to come to the place to recognize maximum freedom is found under the umbrella of God's authority in our life. You see, the only way for you and I to truly have an amazing love relationship with God is for God to give us the freedom to choose where we want to go, when we want to go, how we want to go, to do what's right in God's eyes or our own eyes. And when we recognize and we get to the place where we'll do what's right in God's eyes and we repent and we give our life to Him, then He comes in and demonstrates that mercy. Psalm 103 says the Lord is compassionate and gracious. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in love. Psalm 145 describes God's love this way. He says he's rich in love. And then Psalm 103 says this, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions for us. That's what God does for us when we're finally ready to come to him. That's what God does for us when we are finally ready to acknowledge that true freedom is found under the umbrella of the authority of God. 
I got to tell you, nothing gives me more joy as a pastor, and I hope nothing gives us more joy as a church when somebody says, I'm done serving the little kings, and I'm coming back to God, or I'm coming to God, and I'm giving my life to God. But the tragedy also as a pastor is I have watched, and the reality is you can't get your teens back. You can't get your 20s back or your 30s back. You can't reparent your children. You can't show up to the things that you should have shown up for. You can't have your first marriage back. Those years, those experiences, they're gone. They were wasted serving the little kings who don't care about you, who don't care about your future. But here's the best news of all. When you realize, it took the Israelites in this situation eight years to realize. When you realize and when you cry out and you say, God, the little kings in my life, what are your little kings? The little kings, God, of lust or greed or fear or insecurity or peer pressure or generational dysfunction or alcoholism or addiction or loneliness or greed or selfishness. When you realize, God, those little kings are destroying me and I can't overcome it. I need you. When you come to that place, when you admit that your quest for independence, for freedom, you simply traded one king for a little king. When you admit that to God, this king of kings runs to us with his grace and his compassion and his mercy. And he's ready and he's willing to rescue you. But please don't miss this. Because God knows the power of these little kings. So he demands, he requires unconditional surrender. Because anything less is just going to keep prolonging the agony in our life. I like how Billy Graham said it. He said, God calls on all of us to make a total surrender to his son, Jesus Christ. He said this, if you want to change your life, and I'm asking you this morning, you ready to change? You ready to start living, stop living under the thumb of the little kings in your life? If you're ready to change, Billy Graham said this, if you want forgiveness, if you want peace, and if you want joy that you've never known before, God demands total surrender. He that becomes the Lord and the ruler of your life. So like the Israelites who disobeyed and who experienced disaster in their lives, would you be willing to turn back to God? Would you be willing to turn back to God today and say, God, I need your help, and so I surrender to you. Today is a day to choose a new king in your life because you'll serve one king or another. There's a far superior king than the little kings that don't care about you. Their only desire is to eat you up and to spit you out. Would you trade in the little king for the king of kings? Would you trade in doing what's right in your own eyes and say, I want to start doing what's right in his eyes. God's calling you to that. And he'll give you life. Jesus called it abundant life. More and better life, one translation says, than you could ever imagine apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ. Would you be willing to surrender? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray as we come before you this morning that you would hear the prayers of our heart. And right where you're sitting, if you're willing, 
If, you're eight, if you've gotten to the end of your eight years, whether it's been eight days, weeks, months, years, or maybe for some decades, if you're ready to say, all right, God, it's time. I want to surrender to you. Some of you have been a Jesus follower and you've been dancing around this for years and you just keep holding on. But if you're ready today for total and complete surrender to choosing Jesus, would you pray something like this? Say, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for giving me the freedom to choose you. The freedom to love you. And so God, right now, I've had to figure some of this out the hard way. So I come before you Maybe you're, some of you are saying, once again, I come before you, God, and I surrender my life to you. I choose you as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I'm choosing today, Lord, to not live for myself, but to live for you. So God, thank you for rescuing me, for saving me. I come under the umbrella of your authority in my life. So God, give me for your forgiveness and your peace and your joy. I want you to change my life so I can live like never before. Thank you, God, for this incredible gift of life. I worship you and I praise you as I surrender to you in Jesus' name. God, would you hear these prayers? God, would you respond to people's prayers as they cry out to you? Rescue us and save us so that we can experience life that is truly life in Jesus. We worship you. In your name we pray. Amen.